It's Monday, August 6th, and this is The Daily Dive. Political reporter for Reuters, Ginger Gibson, joins us this week to talk about reports that President Trump is privately brooding and publicly roaring. According to reports, the president continues to privately fume over the Mueller investigation and is worried that Don Jr. might be in legal trouble over the infamous Trump Tower meeting. Publicly, the president is getting his base fired up at various rallies aimed at voter turnout for the midterm election and a Twitter spat with LeBron James. Next, as the global heat wave continues, there were many heat records broken last month. LA set an all-time high temperature record in July. Unprecedented heat in Europe led to wildfire outbreaks in Scandinavia. And South Korea also just set an all-time high on August 1st. Andrew Friedman, science editor at Axios, joins us to talk about the heat wave and what scientists say may be the first of more to come. Finally, are you on social media too much? Well, now there's an app for that. Actually, just some add-ons. Facebook and Instagram are getting new tools to let you know when you have been using the apps too much. Katie Bindley, personal tech reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us to talk about how Facebook is helping you cut back on using their own services. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. This race thing is, is, is taking over. One, because I believe our president is kind of trying to divide us. Um, but I think... Kind of? Yeah, <laughs> is. Is. Not I want to say kind of. He's, he's dividing us. And, and what I noticed over the last few months, that he's kind of used sport to kind of divide us. And, I, and that's something that I can't relate to. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. So let's talk about the president. He's been doing a lot of rallies lately, ramping up for the midterm elections. He's supporting Republican candidates out there. This is very important for those candidates. Everybody's still very much on the Trump train and they're trying to capitalize on his popularity. That's right. We know that those who don't like the president are really fired up. And we expect those who just can't stand Donald Trump to turn out and vote in large numbers in November. The big question is, what about the folks that like Donald Trump? And as you said, he remains popular. The people who voted for Trump continue to say they support him. They think he's doing a good job as president. And Trump is realizing that he needs to get those people to show up on Election Day and vote for Republicans if Republicans are going to maintain control of Congress. And we see the president and some of his allies trying to make the election about Trump so that their supporters feel it's imperative to show up. We've seen a number of Trump's allies say that the election is really about impeachment and that if Republicans lose control of the House, the Democrats will try to impeach the president. And they're saying that to make those Trump supporters nervous and to feel like when they're voting for a Republican, they're actually just voting for Donald Trump. Right. At one of his rallies, he said, you know, everybody's talking about this blue wave. I really think there could be a red wave and you know, trying to get those people out, like you said, and polls even show it. He's always around 45 to 48 percent. But on the Republican side, when you take that plurality out, I mean, he's very high. They still love him a lot. He's making a lot of time. They even said he's going to be in the coming weeks. He's carving out more and more time to do these rallies just so he can get that turn out the base and get them out. Because as Barack Obama saw when he was in the midterms, a lot of Democrats didn't come back out. 
We expect to see Donald Trump campaigning more than we saw Barack Obama in 2010 or in 2014, or we saw George W. Bush during the midterms, during his administration. The big question is going to be, if people start to look like they're not winning, what does Trump do? He doesn't like to be tied to losers. He only likes to get behind winners. And we're going to see a test of that in Ohio this week. There is a special election, a very tight special election. The president was campaigning for the candidate, the Republican candidate in that race this weekend. What's it look like if that Republican loses? This is a seat that's heavily Republican. It should be an easy win for the Republican, but we know it's quite tight. And it'll be interesting to see if that Republican loses. Does Donald Trump start to become a little more apprehensive about campaigning for Republicans in the fall because he becomes concerned that he could have another repeat where he backs someone who doesn't win. We know that the president is always looking at the media. He pays attention. He watches whether he likes to say it or not. He probably does watch some CNN here and there. But the Washington Post had an article that said that the president is privately brooding and publicly roaring. We talked about the public roars right now with the rallies, but privately brooding, they're saying that he's still railing against the whole Mueller thing. In the Washington Post, they said he's concerned about Don Jr. being involved in the Russia probe, namely the meeting he took at Trump Tower. We know the president would like nothing more than the Russia investigation to go away. He has said as much in tweets this week, suggesting what his White House claims was not a demand, that it should be shut down. And we also know, as he took to Twitter on Sunday morning, that he thinks that this is a lot of noise made about nothing. He thinks that his son didn't do anything wrong and that this is just political. This is just Democrats trying to get him. And for that reason, he is sort of brooding about it. He's complaining to his associates. He's complaining to friends that he talks to from the White House. And we also know that he's on a little bit of a working vacation this week in Bedminster, where he has an estate and he owns a golf course in New Jersey. And that has given him a lot of time to fire off some tweets, letting us all know what he thinks and a lot of time to talk to folks about what he thinks. And so uh, we're seeing a lot more of that come to the forefront. Yeah, there was even a little about face because they had previously said that there was nothing in this Trump Tower meeting. And he said this meeting was to get information on an opponent totally legal and done all the time in politics so going a little bit off message there interestingly enough he brought lebron james into the mix and there was a lot of backlash all over the place melania trump through a spokesperson even said, "Hey, i lebron james is doing good work and i hope to maybe get out to his school and, and meet the kids and everything so just kind of uh trump being trump and the melania over here just trying to be nice with everybody Congressional Republicans would love it if Donald Trump would stop talking about things like LeBron James and instead talk about tax cuts and the economy and jobs. But they're having a hard time getting that. And as we saw him tweeting at 1130 at night that LeBron James wasn't very smart, that he likes Mike better, seems to be a reference to preferring <laughs> Michael Jordan. Right. And Melania disagreeing with them. Further evidence that she's got the, an independent streak. And it's really just a distraction from what uh, Republicans would rather be talking about. This whole notion about staying on message relates back to the rallies also. You know, he gets off on these tangents and starts railing against the fake news media and his supporters do love it but he is there to be endorsing Republicans and helping them win the midterm. So staying on message is very much key for the president. It's a tough one. He doesn't like to stay on message. No one has convinced him that he has any reason to, but absolutely these rallies where he starts bemoaning the media, he's trying to undermine the credibility of the free press. He's talking about Hillary Clinton and complaining about the speed in which the election got called for him. Every minute he does that, he's not talking about jobs, the economy, or the Republicans he want people to vote for. 
Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. A high-pressure system, a ridge, hangs out in the same location day after day, giving us unprecedented heat waves and drought. That sort of stalled jet stream pattern, we think that that itself is being favored by human-caused climate change. Joining us now is Andrew Friedman, climate expert and science editor at Axios. So we're going to be talking about all this this global heat wave that's been going on. It has ties to climate change and the effects we can see it. You know, uh, we're here in California. We're going through a series of fires up and down the state. What's going on with this global heat wave? There's been records set all over the world, and uh, scientists are actually pretty surprised by a lot of it. Weather patterns around the world, which are linked together to each other, are lining up in a position so that we have these very distinct, long-lasting heat waves associated with high-pressure systems from the western part of the United States all the way to Southeast Asia. What's been happening is you've seen these patterns take shape. And what really happens with the influence of climate change is that when you have natural variability that acts in the direction that climate change is also acting in, it's much easier to go past a record. So if you have, say, a high-pressure area which suggests hotter weather anyway, and you have long-term warming of one to two degrees, which is kind of the situation in much of California, you're going to get one of the hottest Julys on record, which is what happened in much of the state, including Redding, California. So Really, what we've been seeing is just astonishing heat record after heat record after heat record being set. And both the pace of it, as well as the exceptional numbers, are somewhat surprising to some scientists that I've talked to. And it's not just that. It's also the other extremes that have been happening at the same time. So the wildfires, extreme precipitation events other weird things that are going on all coming together at the same time. And it kind of shows you a preview of what's to come as the climate continues to warm. A lot of people say, like, this is the new normal. Well, I think people in California, at least Cal Fire folks, know this isn't really the new normal. The new normal is transitioning into something that is actually significantly worse. Let's talk about some of those extremes, because there's these high temperature extremes that have been hitting and they're pretty crazy. I saw some in Death Valley where the temperature had hit at least 120 degrees on 21 days. It reached 127 degrees a series of three days and never dropped below 100 degrees on 10 different days. That's hot during the nighttime. So Death Valley, everybody knows as this incredibly hot location. Well, even at this incredibly hot place, it was unusually hot for them. When you mentioned the failure to drop below 100 degrees at night, one aspect that we've been seeing with these heat waves is we're setting a lot more records for overnight low temperatures in terms of how high the temperature has stayed all night. That's been happening in cities like Montreal and cities in the Northeast. A lot of these heat waves have been exceptionally humid heat waves, and that helps keep the temperature up at night. That's somewhat been the case in Southern California as well uh, due to warmer water temperatures just off the coast. So it's not just during the day. That's a warning sign if you talk to public health experts, because what they say is that the human body needs a certain amount of time to cool down and recharge. 
So if you have a heat wave where the temperature is not dropping below 80 degrees at night and you don't have air conditioning or you're experiencing frequent brownouts of electricity, you're going to have problems and you're going to have much greater instances of heat stress and heat stroke and other illnesses just because of the cumulative effect of that on your body. Looking through your article, you point out that the planet is only warmed about a 1.8 degrees almost two degrees uh, since pre-industrial levels. But scientists say that even that little tiny bit of increase really affects us in our climate as we see with these heat waves that are going. And it's just really a taste of more to come. These things are going to be happening in increasing levels as the years go on. So we've warmed by about one degree C. Climate experts talk in Celsius. So if you have a lot of climate folks among listeners, they'll hear two degrees and think that's wrong. But really, I, I was converting it to Fahrenheit as well. So we've warmed by about 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit, and you might think, well, that sounds tiny. But we're actually talking about a 3 degree Celsius increase by the end of the century. So we're talking about going up by almost 6 degrees Fahrenheit. So if we're seeing these extremes now, if we're seeing these floods that we've seen in Hershey Park, Pennsylvania, and we're seeing these fires in California, and the fire season going all year long, just relentless. And the combination of heat and dryness driving these things. We need to prepare now for what's coming down the line. Cities need to, states need to, um, the government of California gets that. Other levels of government does not right now. Cities and states in large part are acting, but it means everything from establishing cooling centers to give people relief from heat waves to making sure you're not building in zones where you shouldn't build in as the sea levels rise. Thank you very much for joining us. Andrew Friedman, science editor at Axios. Thank you. They say they feel pretty good about these apps. Those that focus on relaxation, exercise, weather, reading, education, and health. They spend an average of nine minutes a day on each of these. These apps make them much less happy. Dating, social networking, gaming, entertainment, news, web browsing. People spend 27 minutes a day on each of these. Joining us now is Katie Bindley, personal tech reporter for The Wall Street Journal. We're going to be talking about some new tools that Facebook and Instagram is going to be deploying to help you curb your binge. It's come up in a lot of different ways. Uh, investors to Apple, Mark Zuckerberg himself have said, our personal devices are addictive a lot of times. We're spending too much time on these things. And even though they're developing these tools to wean us off of these addictive products, they're also making those features that keep us coming back for more. Uh, so what is yeah. Facebook and Instagram going to be doing pretty soon? I feel like there's sort of this push towards let's be like intentional about our app and phone use. And in the spirit of that, there's going to be these new tools, both within Facebook and Instagram, that will give you a little bit more information about how much time you're spending in the apps. And then there's also going to be an alert feature that can pop up and tell you when you've hit whatever the limit that you've set for yourself is. A couple things that are interesting, though, the tools are not going to give you the total time that it, like including your when you're on your browser, like on your laptop and stuff like that. It's limited to in the app. So if you're on your iPhone and you go into Facebook or Instagram and go into this activity dashboard that they're planning to launch, what you'll see is the average minutes per day that week that you spent on the app. 
And then beneath that, there will be basically like a bar chart that breaks it down by day, showing you how many minutes you spent each day. If you're someone who maybe checks Facebook or Instagram on your phone, and then maybe during the workday, you check it on your laptop and at night you're on a tablet, you're not going to get a complete total of how much time you're actually spending. Yeah. The company says that it wants the time people spend on its platforms to be intentional, positive, and inspiring, which is, I guess, a nice sentiment. (laughs) Yeah. What's funny is like when I was thinking about my own use, I find mindlessly logging into Facebook to be a little bit more of like a more negative experience than it is for me for Instagram. So if I, I it's not to say it's bad, it's just I'll kind of sign out and be like, huh, why did I do that? It's almost like autopilot. Whereas Instagram, I can enjoy more when I'm just sort of going down a rabbit hole. Earlier was thinking about the fact that I've gotten a ton of great vacation ideas by like just doing like a dive into the Explorer feed and getting a little lost. But I think for everybody, it's going to be a very individual thing. And which, you know, which of the apps are they maybe feeling like they use a little bit too much? And in that case, they can, you know, set this alert thing that will tell them, all right, you've been on the app for 30 minutes today. And of course, the person has the option to just like click OK and continue their mindless scrolling. Well, as you said, you know, everybody uses these different social media platforms for different reasons at different times, and they get different experiences out of it. So Yeah. I mean, for me going on Instagram and just kind of endlessly scrolling through pictures, that's a good time killer for me. Facebook, there's more interaction that has to go into it. It'll lead you to an article that somebody might've posted. And then you're doing some other stuff at that point. Let's start back at the top. You said there was the time tally that's going to show you how much time you're spending and each individual day. There's also going to be that cutoff one, which is going to be kind of important, I guess. With all these things, it really is dependent on you to do the follow through, which is the toughest part. Because if you're quote unquote addicted or just constantly on these things, you're just going to shrug this stuff off. Yeah. I mean, it's a daily reminder is what it is, almost like an alarm. And then if you want to say, all right, I only want to spend 15 minutes a day on Facebook or Instagram, you would go into this activity dashboard, set your daily reminder. And then once you've logged that many minutes on the app, you'll get a little pop-up that'll tell you you've hit your limit or you've hit your set time. Probably one of the better thought out features, I think, is this mute notifications. Because you can go into your phone settings and mute notifications for the app itself, but Facebook is going to give you an option to mute things for a certain period of time, which is good. You know, let's say I'm going to work and I want to mute it for a few hours or I'm going to bed and I don't want anything to pop up overnight. Facebook is a company that uh, in my take has gotten, it's been kind of out of control with the notifications. I mean, you know, every time you connect on messenger, it's like send a wave. And it's like, I can't imagine there's that many people who want as many notifications as we have the option to have. Right. So I've kind of gone with like a more nuclear option of turning off a lot of notifications when it comes to both Facebook and Instagram, but I don't mind getting occasional Instagram notifications, but I do think there's times when this kind of snooze and mute feature will be nice to have to kind of bring you back in the moment. So let's say you're on vacation, you put up a beautiful picture, you might want to post it that moment, but it's probably like not a bad idea for some people to snooze notifications for maybe four hours and kind of stay in the moment and enjoy whatever it is you're doing and then log back in after to see, you know, how many people liked your post. And this is going to be a continuing trend. Apple is going to release their new iOS that's going to have some type of features to manage app usage. Android is also going to do something with Google. They're calling it their digital well-being tools. So they're all releasing some stuff rolling out soon. So keep an eye out for the updates and then you'll get to see how much time you're spending on all these things. 
Katie yes. Binley, personal tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.